You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. Today's message is entitled, Ghosting God. Ghosting God. And that means something. I'll explain it more as we go. And though there's few of us this morning, I feel a strong urgency to share this message. Um, you know, I thought about, wait, I'll, maybe I'll just leave it for another time, but no, I'm going to share it now. And I believe it's important for it to go out. So I'm going to pray and then I'll lead you in a prayer. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would make your word real to us and that you would awaken your people, that they would arise and be the people of God and that you would heal us from our backsliding and turn our hearts in repentance to you. Have your way this morning. Let your word convict us, challenge us, but also comfort us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you put your hands on your hearts, please, and pray this with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life. Amen. So the message is entitled Ghosting God, and that will make more sense as we go on. It's a new term, this ghosting, and I'll explain it if you haven't heard it before. There's Times Square. I've been showing New York in the recent messages. If you can, if you see it, there's uh, Times Square. I'll turn it a little bit here. Today, we'll see that being a friend of God is costly. Being a friend of God is costly. It means breaking free of our friendship with the world's spirit and ways. So in weeks past, we've talked about being friends of God, being a friend of God. And that, out of all of that, being a friend of God and meditating on that came the messages on the art of evangelism and sharing our faith because friends of God recruit other friends uh, for God. And today we're also seeing that there's a costly, that there's a cost to being a friend of God. So James chapter 4, verse 4, this is a challenging message. Before I read this, this is a challenging message. I know it. And, uh, I'm, and uh, I believe it's very important for us and even those who aren't here. It's important for our congregation and the church as a whole. So James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, 
Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? I just need to adjust this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives, he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So let's talk about this some more. Here's what Jesus said. This is a man plowing, and it's old-fashioned plowing. And Jesus said something about the costliness of discipleship. In Luke 9, 62, but Jesus said to him, he was talking to a man who uh, was negotiating with Jesus about following him. He was negotiating. With Jesus And Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now I'll go to this scripture reference here, Luke 9, 62, and I'll, I'll look at verse 61. What was Jesus, uh, how was Jesus answering this man? Well, this is his answer, but what was the man saying that caused Jesus to reply in this way? Still another said, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. So see, it seems like a legitimate thing. I'm going to go, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. There's a contradiction here. Most people miss it. The man says, I will follow you, Lord. But then he says, but first, let me. When Jesus is Lord, it's not, but first, let me. It's that Jesus is Lord, and he is the one who tells us what to do. And he is more important even than our families. So there is an allusion here to Elisha when Elijah was calling Elisha and Elisha sacrificed his oxen, said goodbye to his family and left. And there's a sense here where I'm even greater, Jesus is saying here through these words, I'm even greater than Elijah and you don't have the uh, you don't have just the, uh, what would you say? What's the right word? You don't have the, the freedom to just do whatever you want. Now, that doesn't mean that this man, after, after if this man would have said, your Lord, uh, I'll do whatever you say, you're first, Jesus may have said, okay, go say goodbye to your family and come follow me. But he's making, Jesus is making a point here of what his lordship means it cost everything. And then he goes on to say, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What is this illustration here? Well, someone who's plowing has to always be looking forward. 
if they are not looking forward, if they're looking back, they are going to cause the plow to, to veer. One of the things this is clearly saying is being a disciple of Jesus is participating and being part of God's work. And his work is the work of the harvest. And we need to have our eyes set before us and not behind us. And like that one song says, the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No looking, no looking back, right? No looking back. Then it says, though none come with me, still I will follow. This is the heart of being a disciple. And if you were plowing and you're always looking back, you're going to veer off. You are not fit for the plowing. You need to keep your focus and your gaze ahead. You need to be fixated in front. You can't direct the plow if you're fixated on what's behind you. In the same way, you can't be a disciple if you're drawn back by the world. Even the good things of the world, like saying goodbye to your family. Here, Jesus is saying that I am so far greater than everything. That doesn't mean that your family is not important. In God's eyes, it is important. What I'm saying here is that Jesus must be first and foremost and all in all. So in the same way, you can't be a disciple if you're drawn back by the world. Even the good things of the world, world, Jesus must be first. I need to hear a few amens here. This is the same thing before uh, verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. The same type of thing there. So there is a cost to following Jesus. Here's Charles Spurgeon. This is what Charles Spurgeon says. There must be a divorce between you and sin, or there can be no marriage between you and Christ. There must be a divorce between you and sin or there can be no marriage between you and Christ. So I think we have a tendency today to think that we can be friends with Jesus and carry around our sin, like uh, you know, have this secret relationship with sin going on. This is why James says, you adulterous people, you're committing adultery against God. And this is why Spurgeon says you can't be in relationship with Christ as your bridegroom and still keep your relationship with sin. There must be that divorce, that break, that cost. And not just, not just with overt sins. So some people get deceived in thinking, hey, I don't drink now, I don't smoke, I don't swear. Though a lot of Christians now swear, it seems to be quite... Uh, popular. Uh, I don't do these things so they think I'm all right. But Jesus uh, 
the cost of being disciple of Jesus is such so much more than that. It's that Jesus must be Lord over everything, even the good areas, even the things you think good, your thoughts, your decisions, your options, what you want to do. We are not to lean on our own understanding in anything. This brings us to Romans 12, 1 and 2. We were looking at this weeks before about what authentic worship is. And authentic worship is more than singing songs. It's a whole life laid down on the altar, God's altar. And so let me read to you this translation I did about a month or so ago, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And there's a reason why I'm reading it again. It's because of the end part. So I urge you, family, because of God's compassion, surrender your whole lives as a living sacrifice, an offering set apart and enjoyable to God. That's authentic worship. And it's this part that I, I want to highlight today. Don't be shaped by this age. Don't be shaped by this age, but be metamorphosized by your mind's renewal, enabling you to test like gold in the fire what is genuinely God's desire, His good, enjoyable, and complete will. So that part, don't be shaped by this age. So part of genuine worship, authentic worship, is not conforming to the world not being shaped by the world and the age and the, the, the pressures of this age, but being changed, metamorphosized to be like Jesus, which happens through our mind's renewal. This is why we need to continually wash ourselves in the Word. Times Square again. <laughs> I like Times Square. But here we're using it as a symbol of the, <laughs> the world. And we got all these advertisements and... Come here, go there. The word world is used in two different ways in Scripture. The word world is used in two different ways in Scripture. First, it speaks of God's creation that he passionately, passionately loves. So we see that in John 3:16, for God so loved the world, cosmos. That's the word there in the Greek. But it's also used in another way. Second, it is God's creation that is divorced from God and consequently sinful, corrupt, and fading away. And the same word is used in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. So we need to compare Scripture with Scripture. And remember what we were learning last week as well as we hold this in our hand. First uh, John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. So this is very strong words here. Let me read that again so it really sinks in. Now, you may be sitting here, you may not love the world, but there's a temptation for all of us to love the world but the reason why I'm sharing this with you this morning is I, I want you to take it and to teach others and get, the word, you know, get this word out, this message out. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father, it says here in the NIV, I would 
say love the love of the father the father's love is not in them for and then here it describes the world for everything in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father but from the world the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So really it has to do with the, the, the world is living opposite to God's will. The world is chasing after their own desires, their, what their eyes see, what their flesh feels, their own boasting and pride. They are not concerned about the will of God. It's not their passion. It's not their desire. But those who are Christ's disciples, it's all about the will of God. It's all about his desires. It's all, all about what he wants. Here it says, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So again, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, he was being tempted with three temptations, and they deal with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, but we don't have time to get into that, so let's move forward here. Here's another, here's a bird's eye view of New York. You can see, if you can see clear, clear, if you can see in there, there's a, like a space in the middle of Manhattan with their Central Park. <laughs> it's, it's right, right in there. We need to love God's creation. The people and our planet, because for God so loved the world. We need to love God's creation, the people and our planet. But we cannot fall into the trap of loving the world's sinful ways or living for our own desires, even though they may not even look sinful. <laughs> we got to go beyond just, oh, you know. I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't, uh, and I go to church and I'm fine. We got to go beyond that. And what is the will of God? And am I living a life on the altar before God? We must be convinced that, the, that only the Messiah can ultimately redeem this world, not ourselves. Only the Messiah can ultimately redeem this world. We are in this world to be a part of his mission, to be his body in this world. So we are, one of the classic statements is we're in the world, but not of the world. But sometimes people use that as an excuse to be like the world. <laughs> and uh, others may say, you know, we're not to be, do not love the world. So then they try to run from the world and escape and they don't have any, Friends that are non-believers, and that also is an error. So I talked about those two errors there. So we're not meant to retreat from the world, but we're meant to be a part of 
Jesus' mission, his body in the world, realizing that he's the only one that can save the people, but he does use us as instruments in this world. Do we see that? Give me a little feedback here so I know that you're, <laughs> you're with me this morning. So now we get to this term of ghosting. Ghosting is a new term coined after a modern and well-known phenomenon. When someone ghosts you, they disappear. They don't respond to your messages or calls, and usually you don't know why. So if you're trying to get a hold of, uh, text someone and they don't respond to you, and it's, you know, you do it a few times, they're still not responding to you, it's called ghosting. You're calling, but they are not responding. They are not answering. It's called ghosting. And it's a new term. You'll hear it used often. Again, someone who ghosts you, they disappear. They disappear on you. Especially has to do with phones and the way we use our phones today. Today, many choose ghosting rather than confront confronting problems. So many today will choose ghosting rather than confronting problems. They think it's all too much, so I won't respond. And as... I have seen this often, you know, with the, this generation training them up in Bible school. There'll be people that you will, talk, you will individually text over and over, and they just will totally disappear on you. It really breaks my heart because I invested so much and sacrificed them in their lives so much, and then all of a sudden they ghost you. But this is because they are, quote, unquote, ghosting God. In other words, they're running from God. Now, with regards to this ghosting on the phone, almost everyone has ghosted someone or has been ghosted, and we try to ghost all the telemarketers. You know, they, they call you up, and it's like, don't answer, don't answer. We don't know who it is. Let them leave. If it's, if it's important, they'll, they'll leave a message. So almost everyone has done it in, in some form, but... Please don't be doing it to people that care for you, pastors, uh, leaders, parents that, that care for you. Um, and let us not be ghosting God. Don't think that you can just ghost God and you can, and it's, it's all going to go well with you. It will not go well with you. Uh, let me talk about this some more, I want to address the issue of when we turn our backs on God. When we turn our backs on God. God is calling, and we're not answering. Instead, like Adam and Eve, we hide behind the trees. And like Jonah, we take the first ship to Tarshish. Or Tarshish. Tarshish is more the Hebrew pronunciation. We take the first ship to Tarshish. Let's look what happens to Jonah. We all kind of remember what happened to Jonah, right? But this is how there's many people right now, like Jonah, running from God. They're turning their back on God. And Jonah is running. He's not necessarily involved in some hideous sin, but this, that we would think, that the world would think is a hideous sin. But in God's eyes, to run from his call and his word 
is the worst thing you can do because you're running from him. So let's look at this. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So he was to preach to Nineveh. It may, the, there is a debate about the transla translation, preach against it. While that sounds negative, in, in the Hebrew, it's like just preach to it. That's, I would take that take on there, but I'm not here to get into all those uh, technical matters. But let me say, let me read it like that. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach to it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, the idea of preaching is that God was showing mercy to the Ninevites, giving them an opportunity to repent in his compassion. So Jonah receives specific, a specific word from God. This is specific direction. But look at what Jonah does. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, there's storms that we go through, God's testing our character, and then there's storms that people go through because they're running from God. And God is trying to wake them up, shake them out of their apathy and complacency. And here the ship is about to break up. All the sailors were afraid. Each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the ship. Uh, they, sorry, they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. So he's running, then he's going down, then he's sleeping. And this is a picture of what people do when they run from God. They fall asleep. When they backslide, they fall asleep. It's a deep sleep. And, and when you're in a sleep, you're not sensitive to what's around you. It's like you're escaping. Uh, we would say today, Jonah was depressed. So, of course, every, everybody gets away with stuff by being depressed. <laughs> and this is the thing is we can't use uh, medical terms to excuse our disobedience to God and running from God. Well, he fell into a deep sleep. He's depressed. He needs some type of deliverance from depression. No, he needs deliverance from his disobedience. Are you with me here? I'm not saying that depression is not a real thing. But yeah, you are going to get depressed if you're running from God. And verse 6, the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe you will take notice of us so that we will not perish. They're about to die, and he has no care at all. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So he says he worships God, but 
right now he is not worshiping God with his life. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So he told, he's like, I'm, you know, leave me alone. I'm going to the, the bottom of the deck. I'm going to sleep. I'm running away from, <laughs> I'm running away from God. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so things just got worse and worse. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become, become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Well, the men tried to do their best not to do this, uh, and then they were really felt bad, please. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Uh, and then in verse 15, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared Yahweh, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows to him. So right now, we're at a time in history where the world is trying to wake up the church because of what a deep sleep the church is in that even the world is saying, you're not right. And even the world is throwing us overboard, <laughs> so to speak. So if for the church, this is a message for the church and also for individuals, you run from God, it will not go well with you. There's a proverb that say, says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Death, destruction, separation. Uh, and Jesus talks often about the broad way, you know, the broad way to destruction. So I'd like to read that. Oh, it's here. Good. Nothing good comes from ghosting God. Nothing good comes from ghosting God. The path away from God leads to death and destruction. So now we go to Matthew chapter 7. 13. So maybe you're here listening to this because you need to warn somebody about the path that they are on. Part of sharing the good news is also warning people because Jesus warned people. He's our example. He says here in Matthew 7, 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. So, Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only few find it. And then we go to verse 26. Many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, this is 22. Did we not prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons? But the issue is he, Jesus was just Lord in their, their lips. They were not living according to his lordship. And here, Jesus makes it clear, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not everyone who prays will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who goes to church will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who lives a good, nice life for everybody is going to go enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here is the issue, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The will. Again, we come back to the will, the desire. 
living for the will of our Father. And that's what salvation is about. Salvation is about saving us from our own will so that we now are in service to our Father's will, the Lord's will, doing His will, not doing our own will. Jonah, when he's running from God, he's doing his own will. And any, every, that leads to destruction, as we read about here, uh, Matthew 7, 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, they hear them, but they don't put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There, Jesus is illustrating what it looks like when we turn from God. And so this leads us to one of our last things that we're looking at, and that is seven signs you're backsliding. So seven signs you're backsliding. So I have a little infographic to hand out to you, but it's a, it, it's a black and white here, but it's color on the screen. Now, in order to lighten a little bit, add a, I, I do add a dash of humor there. Because if you, if you kind of look, oh, if you look in the top and you see, that's a little uh, emoji thing that they made of, of, of me on uh, my, my phone. <laughs> Had all these, uh, took my, I don't know what they do. They took my likeness and then uh, made all these things. There's a picture of me slipping on a banana. Now, I hope I don't. Slip like this. <laughs> but it starts with backsliding is no joke. So here are some of the warning signs. So seven of these warning signs, seven signs that you're backsliding. Now, when I was uh, younger, you know, we would always joke around Christian, Christian friends. Oh, you know, you're backsliding. And they would joke around. But backsliding has actually no joke. It is no joke. First sign here is you've lost your wonder of God. You've lost your wonder of God. The fear of the Lord means to be in reverence, awe, and wonder of God. When you start backsliding, you're not captured by the beauty and the glory of God. We know Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'll read that one to you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, the fear of the Lord is not meaning, first and foremost, being afraid of God. It means being in reverence and awe and wonder of God. And when you backslide, you start to lose that reverence, that awe and wonder. You lose, you lose your... Uh, you lose that passion. You're not in awe of God anymore. Uh, you, it's like, as toward God, you're meh. <laughs> Which, two, number uh, two, the second sign is you're not hungry for God's word. So like Israel in the wilderness, you begin complaining about God's manna. You want something that seems more exciting. Uh, I'll read to you what the Israelites said in 
Numbers 11, 4 through 6, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. So they're tired of the, the manna, even though it was miraculous. They're turning back. The Egypt was better. To be in slavery and bondage was better because, oh, we had better food. We lose our hunger for God's word. When we're, when we're backsliding. Third sign is you're replacing God with other things. The temporal things of this world now capture your heart. Things like money, your career, a promising relationship, and recognition by others are more important to you than glorifying God. All the things we were uh, reading about before. You're making idols of your family, your friends, your, your money, your achievements, your boast. You're replacing these things with God. So, yeah, God is concerned about our finances. God is concerned about our careers. God is concerned about our relationships. Uh, yet, the only way we have these things healthy in the kingdom is if we put him first, if he's Lord over these things and everything is surrendered to him. One of the early lessons for Abraham, he had to surrender his son to the Lord. Four. See, you see these, uh, this one is, <laughs> that, that picture, I, I, I don't know where these pictures came from, but I thought, Oh, these are, these are interesting. So there's me in a block of ice. Now, pray that I never get there. <laughs> for your love for Jesus and others is growing cold. Your love for Jesus and others is growing cold. This is Matthew 24, 12 from the Net Bible. Jesus said, because lawlessness will increase so much, the love of many will grow cold. Others will say, because wickedness. People are, people are going against God's word. We can sum it up like that. People are going against God's word, and it's so much that the love of many will grow cold. They get affected by the world. They get affected by the world's rebellion, lawlessness, anger against Christians and everything that is good. And right. They are, uh, they are, they, they start saying that evil is good and good is evil. And they start supporting a government, you know, government, you know, really hostile governments that are full on terrorists that hide their military camps under hospitals. And take hostages, women and children, and kill babies in front of the world with their phones, uh, broadcasting it to everybody. And then you have kids, school kids that are supposed to go out and be in uh, protest uh, for these evil people who do evil acts. You know what I'm talking about? And so you got there, then they recruit the school kids 
to be pro-Hamas. You can't think of anything more uh, a validation of the scripture that they call evil good and good evil. Of course, God loves every nation, every people, but he does not love the sin and the terrorism and the ways. So I mention this because this, will, this causes people's hearts to grow cold if we let the world's ways affect us. We let their ice start to freeze us. We start to surround ourselves with their ice. If you're going to stay hot for God, you've got to stay close to the holy fire, his all-consuming fire. Don't let other people's sins extinguish your fire for God and the fire that he has put in you. And you have to be active in constantly fellowshipping with God, spending time with him, his word, to keep you from falling into these things. And, and there seems to be, every year, it seems to be an increase of demonic activity going on. And if you're not alert and putting on the full armor of God, you fall asleep, you, you fall cold to these spirits that are opposite the kingdom and, and opposing the kingdom. It says here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, do not quench the spirit. Or another way to translate it is do not put out the spirit's fire. Do not put out the spirit's fire. And after it says do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. Okay, this brings us to point oh, five. Point five. What's, a, what's another sign of backsliding is gathering with God's people is not a priority. Gathering with God's people is not a priority. This is always broke. This is always broken Ananias' heart when everybody comes so it's not so important. Uh, and it is actually a rejection of God himself. When you've stopped gathering with God's people, it's a sign that you've stopped caring. It's, you're robbing God. You're robbing God of your presence. You're robbing God of your offering of your life. You're robbing God of your giving. You're robbing God, much like the contention that Malachi had. So right now I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to these seats. <laughs> you're robbing God. You're literally robbing God. You want to you be, be those who rob God? Uh, things are not going to go well with you when you're robbing God. When you've stopped gathering with God's people, it's a sign that you've stopped caring. It could be that you're offended and you need to forgive. That's often the reason. But there could be a myriad of reasons. Remember, you're part of Christ's body. You need the church, and the church needs you. So not only do you need the church, but the church needs you. And when you're not engaged and involved, yeah, there's, there, there's some that are, that are sick, but they are still engaging and doing their best to be 
in fellowship. We're not talking about that. We're talking about those who, it, it's a habit. It's a habit. So look at, we read classic verses about this, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. And this was a problem even back in 2,000 years ago. <laughs> this is why the author is writing this. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And the issue is when it becomes a habit. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We see the day approaching. We should be encouraging each other more. We should be gathering more, taking it more seriously. But when you're backsliding, it's not a priority. Number six. Number six. We're almost finished here, and then I'm going to pass this out to you. You've given one of the signs that you're backsliding is you've given yourself permission to sin. You don't see sin as dangerous and destructive. You, you've even made up reasons to justify your behavior. And look at what happened to Adam and Eve and Eve and the destruction they brought on the world by disobeying God. Achan, the destruction he brought and the trouble he brought on Israel because he hid the, those Babylonian items under his, uh, in, in the ground, in his tent, under the ground there. And then Samson, playing around, flirting with sin. You give yourself permission to sin. Oh, I need this. Uh, I need this for some type of, uh, some type of stress relief. Or um, this is not wrong. I know, I, I, and I, it, it baffles me. You know, one time I was talking to a, a brother, and I, I, out of their mouth, constant swear words. I said, you know, that's not right. You, know, you should be speaking wholesome. And, uh, and no matter what you say, they give themselves permission to speak like that, even though it's so contrary to the word. And then you have, what is that? I was watching a video of some pastor, and he was saying, oh, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like uh, the reason why I speak with blankety-blank this and blankety-blank that, and I talk like that is because I'm trying to, uh, trying to catch the sinners, uh, relate to them. Uh, he said it's like, putting, it's like putting bait on a hook, and the bait is the swear words, and I'm trying to catch the sinners. So I just heard this. This is just one of these big popular TikTok things that's out there. And uh, the, the things that people believe and think, uh, the permissions they give themselves, it is not right. And we are meant to represent the kingdom of God in our speech. Uh, it's one thing if, you know, you... You say something and then you repent and say, Lord, wash me and forgive me. It's another thing when you give yourself permission and say, no, this is okay. You go against the word. So those who are legit believers will do things wrong, but they don't give themselves permission to do things wrong. They, 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 they will fall and they get back up and say, no, that was not right. 
You know, my behavior was not right. My speech was not right. But oh, whoa, when you say, hey, it actually, actually doesn't matter. And uh, so much of that today has gone on. We have become so uh, like the world that there's not much of a difference. And that needs to change. That needs to change. Last thing. So, so get this sobering message, right? Sobering, but it's very important to hear, and I'm praying that God will use, use this, get into hearts and lives. Number seven, the last thing. You're not passionate about sharing the good news. So you're backsliding when you're not passionate about sharing the good news. You've lost God's heart, and you don't care about people's eternal destiny. Now, notice God's heart here in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing or not desiring, not wanting for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is the Father's heart. He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So let me sum up by saying that if, if you even have one of these red flags that we talked about here, these seven things, even one of these red flags, it's time to humble yourself before God and turn from your own ways. Anna, Anna, do, would you please pass these out? Thank you. There's one last slide here, and it's, it's, it's just summing up the solution to all this. The solution to friendship with the world and backsliding is deep repentance. It's a repentance based on the Spirit's deep work, the Spirit's convicting work, and not our own condemning of ourselves, but the Holy Spirit's conviction there's a difference between conviction and condemnation, as you know about. So the, the solution to friendship with the world and backsliding is deep repentance. It's a repentance that gets down to the roots. It's a repentance based on the Spirit's deep work that exposes the depths of your sin. You are not happy in your sin. You are not comfortable. You are not giving yourself permission. And James illustrates it in... James 4, 6 through 10, and we were, we started off with James 4, and we're ending there, and we're reading a little bit further here, James 4, 6 through 10. So we started off with James 4, 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? That means hostility against God. And so... Then in verse 6, James says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So the way out of this backsliding is humility. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. The submission to God, his lordship, his will. Submit yourselves then to God and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. The, what, is the, what are demons like? They're like flies that when you have rotten food or garbage, 
the flies collect at the garbage. And when you have garbage in your life, the demons come and they find their home there and they multiply there. So you have to realize that if you're in this, you have some type of demonic influence in your life. If you're involved in any of these things, you need to submit to God and then resist the devil. You know, get out. Get rid of the garbage and then chase away the demons. Stand up. Stand up with the full armor of God. And the scripture says this. It's not a big deal. You don't have to go to some special deliverance ministry. You do not have to go to some special healing mid, uh, ministry. Those things are for those who are, uh, are struggling. But you who, who know the word, you submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It says he will flee from you. And then it goes on to say, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. That's speaking to believers here. Uh, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You're in two minds about things. And then it goes even further. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is what humbling yourselves looks like. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now that type of repentance only comes when you allow the Holy Spirit to do that deep work within you. And we're those who have been entrusted with this message. We have got to keep our lives clean and then we're trusted to warn people and warn our fellow believers. This is the way. This is the way out of the life of backsliding and sin. And you'll see in every revival, there's grieving, mourning, and wailing. It makes people feel uncomfortable because the appearances are, you know, the appearances are now, now gone. It doesn't look nice. But it's the only way. It's the way is the way of humility, the way of repentance. It's the only way to be lifted up. You, you cast yourself in humility into the dust, and the Lord lifts you up. Amen? So, yeah, Anna, did you want to say something? Yeah. No, I'll... Uh, Anna, it's always a blessing to hear from you. Sometimes. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm just, I was reading James um, the other week too, and this scripture stood out to me because often, you know, you hear um, scripture taken out of context that love covers a multitude of sins, but then there we also, so we just excuse sin because of God's love. And that's not what that scripture is saying at all, especially when you put it in context with um, the end of James 5, um, 19. It says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And that's what the love of God in us does, you know, to, to reach out to those who have turned away from God's path, you know. Um, 
Amen. So we're going to pray. Father, here we are. We're asking that your Holy Spirit would move upon your people and there would be a deep repentance from doing things our own way and not your will. And we ask that you would forgive us, Lord, where these these things that we have been talking about, these signs where we have lost our wonder with God, we have lost our hunger for his word. We've replaced God with other things. We've loved, uh, we've lost our love for Jesus. It's growing cold. Gathering with God's people is not a priority. We've given ourselves permission to sin and We've lost our passion of sharing the good news. Wherever this describes us, Lord, we want to repent. We repent before you. I pray, Father, that you would recapture our hearts, that there would be a great fear of the Lord among your people, that you would awaken your church in Brisbane that 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 darkness that's covering the earth would not cover your people, that we would arise and shine because our light has come. So, Lord, move, Father, on people's hearts and minds. Let us see the fruit of repentance. Lord, like you woke up Jonah, wake up your people. We just cast ourselves upon you because unless you move, unless you turn people's hearts, there's no hope, Lord. But with you, there is hope. So we're praying for that deep repentance. Not just singing songs and being excited about being in your presence, but also being humbled in your presence and people crying out and saying, I need you, I need your mercy, I need your forgiveness. In Jesus' name.